Hello and welcome to Eden Exchanges, the business journey podcast by Eden Exchange. Today we spoke to Anthony Crowther, who is the founder of New York Minute, a modern-day burger franchise marrying local Australian produce with traditional New York-style street cuisine. Listen as Anthony delves into his background as a chef, the story of how and why New York Minute was created, what is unique about the business, and how early adoption of Uber Eats has helped his business grow. Listen on to find out more. Welcome everyone, my name is Raghu from Eden Exchange and I'm joined by Ellen Rogers on our team today. Hello everyone. Today our special guest is Anthony Crowther, who's the founder and director of New York Minute. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Anthony. Pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Excellent stuff. Now, can you start off by telling us a bit about your professional background and what and how did you first become involved with New York Minute? Sure. So... I've been in the food game for about 20 years, both short order, which is QSR, and even restaurants as well. And what I found with restaurants is, is there's too much reliance on other other parts of the business. So obviously me being a chef, I'm in the kitchen, I don't really know what's going on out the front. And what I found, if I'm out the front, then there's so much reliance on a chef in the kitchen. So I quickly realized that this is not the kind of industry that I want to be in if I can't find a way to be able to just helicopter view the business. So. That's what shifted me towards QSR. It was very simple. It can be one-man operation, small footprint. Um, it allowed me to not have to, you know, I didn't have to exhibit too much funds at the beginning when I first established New York Minute. Uh, I think it cost me around about $60,000 to set up the first store. Yep. And in the restaurant space, I mean, it could be 10 times that. So that was the purpose about shifting towards QSR. It was, it was a simple transition for me. I wasn't overly emotionally attached to the creativity that comes with being a chef. I was more about just more the business side of things was probably what I was more connected to. And the QSR just made more sense. I see the product that comes in, I see the product that goes out. I get to talk to the customer directly. You know, we're able to turn the products around in somewhere between four and six minutes. In some cases, even shorter than that crew, um, crew hour times. So spending a little bit of time in the QSR was quickly apparent to me that this is definitely the industry I wanted to go down, segment of the industry I wanted to go down, sorry. Okay, so what are some of the unique characteristics of the business and how do you stand out against your competitors? Look, it's a good question because the food industry has changed a lot over the last three or four years mostly since the inclusion of Uber Eats. But let's go back pre-Uber Eats and me being a chef was really important about our produce. So we potato farm our own chips. So I think well, I went to potato farms and then we got a custom chip and then a custom beer batter. That's both for our white russet potato as well as our sweet potato and same with the beef mints. I mean, I went to Gippsland and went to farms. So I wanted to know exactly what I was giving our customers. We make our sauces, smoke our own meats. And then the next point of difference for us was to really come into the market with a different offering in the burger sector. So we didn't want to just offer the same beef lines and the same chicken lines. We smoke our own brisket, smoke our own pork, smoke our own beef to make Philly cheese steak. And then, as I said, we make our own veggie patties, make our own sauces. So that that was where we were unique. Even with the buns, custom-made roll, we don't use tip-top. You know, we don't use those made bigger sort of companies for our bread rolls. I went to a, I went to probably 10 different bread manufacturers before we were able to get a custom-made roll. You know, eight of them shut the door in my face, which was fine. But ultimately, we ended up with a custom-made product. And that's what separates us from the rest. 
and, and you do have like a very personalized product, um, you know, both for the customer as well of the, as the potential franchisees coming on board. Now, a lot of thought has gone into your business, the model, the infrastructure and how it all works. I mean, how do you think the effect of Uber Eats has been on firstly your business and the industry as a whole? Oh, well, it's affected us exactly the same as the industry. So let's just chat about the industry. So from our point of view, which is not exclusive to New York Minute, I don't think we realised the, the impact that Uber Eats was going to have and how quickly they were going to be able to shift the consumer. So they were able to shift 50% of our total company revenue inside eight months to an Uber platform that charges us a 30% commission. So you could imagine what the bottom line of the P&L would look like in that situation. All of a sudden, our biggest stores, and that's what we've done, we've paid attention to consumer behaviour all the way through this journey. And what that means is we started very small, small 40 square metre store, you know, six seats inside, six seats outside, very small footprint, able to manage by one man. We got too busy, so we built a bigger site, bigger footprint, bigger commercials, bigger to capital expenditure, et cetera, et cetera. So that's sort of the process. We went all the way down to 200 square metre restaurants that could seat 100 people. The challenge we had was the minute Uber came into the industry in Victoria, we thought this was going to be great. So naturally, we were one of the first people that they installed on the menu and we were happy with it because what it allowed us to achieve was a, a broader range of customer when you consider the way the back in those days the way the consumer behaved was if they wanted to go and get something to eat they literally had it was a destination they had to get in their car or they had to walk order in a restaurant and then eat there we probably had about 15 percent of our total revenue which was phone order and pick up what we found in that short time as i said within six months and we see over 50 percent of our total revenue move into their platform all of our biggest stores started to suffer because they're in large commercial stores large commercial costs associated with the store, large operational costs, you know, large fit-out costs. So instead, instead of spending $70,000 like we did on our first store, which is only a small 40, 50 square metre site, all of a sudden you've got a store like High Point Shopping Centre that costs us a million dollars to fit out and it's got a $250,000 rent. Now that went from being our number one performing store in our network. Within 18 months of Uber being in Victoria, it went to the worst performing store in the network. Wow, what a big change, right? Yeah. So it's significant. And that's the same challenge as the industry faces. We're, look, we've thought on our feet all the way through, you know, thinking on your feet through this process and we're in the same position everybody else was and that was in a position where we we're almost going to close our doors. And to ensure that that didn't happen, we've, we've, uh, I think we were at strategy number eight now to get us to where we are today, which is a thriving express store outlet. So what did you feel was special about the American burger scene that made you want to introduce it into the Australian scene? Well, yeah, so when you asked me a little bit earlier in relation to what, where's the point of difference from New York Minute, as I said, I just didn't want to be a run-of-the-mill hamburger shop. So when I started New York Minute, the way I started it, believe it or not, I used to watch Man vs. Food. Oh. I used to see these beautiful smoked ribs and I used to see beautiful smoked pork and we didn't have that here, So and brisket even. So to give an example of what we did with brisket in this country, Historically, what we've done with brisket, the cut of meat, the beef cut of brisket, it goes into mince. We don't even realize how good it is. And then you watch a lot of these shows, these American shows, and they you know, put rubs on, you know, smoke it, and it's just an amazing cut of beef. So I started doing that myself. I started smoking my own meats, making my own sauces, and then all of a sudden we had some custom products that weren't available in the market space. You know, our pulled pork was 
you know, it wasn't around before we started. I mean, we've been around for nearly 10 years now. You know, brisket on a roll, you couldn't get in Australia. I couldn't find anywhere to get it. Even the Philly cheese steaks, they weren't available anywhere here. But the, so what we did was I was very conscious about not, you know, like the health component of this as well. The most important thing for me was, you know, everything in America is done on such a grand scale. So when we introduced it here, I wanted to make sure that I could condense the product, you know, so people can come in and have two, twice, even maybe three times they can visit our, our venues a week rather than just coming in once for that novelty experience. Yeah, excellent stuff. Now, you've obviously you know, expanded tremendously, but now given the market, how do you market yourself now compared to other, say, QSR brands in Australia? And what type of customers are frequenting your restaurant? Uh, so how do you expand in today's market? I think you need to understand the market at the moment and the way the consumer behaves within it. So express store outlets for me are the way to go. Dark kitchens for me, it's just it's not the way. I would like people to still be able to come into the restaurant. So all we've really done is gone back to our roots, and that is 40, 50 square meter outlets, still in high traffic or high precinct zones. And... You know, like you can expand at significantly because obviously you're using the Uber platform for your customer base. But to, to be able to achieve that, one of the things that I always say to people is if you're, going to get, if you're going to find yourself in the food industry today, and that's whether it's a franchising system or a business system, the first question I would ask is you would want to ask either the franchisor or the person you're about to buy the business from is if 50% of your total revenue sits on an Uber platform at a 30% commission, how do we make money? So if they haven't set up the business system to be able to achieve this, I would say walk away from that. Not only have we set up the business system to achieve it, we thrive in these conditions now. And are, and are you essentially leading the charge in terms of is your model one of the unique models that can actually cater to the disruption that Uber has created? Yeah, I don't know another I don't know another service provider in the in, in our market in our industry that does has the same offer as what we do. Especially with our entry level, the operation is simplicity the operation provides. The cost in terms of your expense sheet to run the store, it's a very, very different model compared to what we had you know, three years, four years ago. So you opened your first store on Mooney Ponds in Victoria all that time ago. What was the specific reason why you chose that location and how do you source your locations for new franchisees now? So at the time, I, the reason I chose Mooney Ponds is I was – I lived in the area firstly. The most important thing that I look for now when we do any site selection, obviously we do demographics, we get an understanding of disposable incomes in areas, but it's high-density residential areas. That's what you've got to look for. It's the most important thing. I mean, I've, there's so many cliches where you can watch movies, you know, American movies like Field of Dreams where they say if you build it, they will come. It's not true. You build it where they are, you'll be sustainable, providing you've got the right product, priced well, and you're relevant. You need to have a point of difference. And, and in terms of you know, your site sourcing and whatnot, when you're looking for a new franchisee and when they come on board, what type of help is provided with them in terms of finding the right location, getting the right setup as well? Okay. It's, it's, it's a very important question to ask because you don't want people traveling for an hour, an hour and a half to work. Even if one thing I've always said too is I'm happy to travel 45 minutes if I'm going to make money. I'd rather travel 45 minutes and make money than travel five minutes and make nothing. So the site demographics that we choose and the site selection process that we go through is so unbelievably important. However, you have to consider the fact that geographically it's going to be important to the franchisee where their business is positioned. 
for them to be going to and from work most days. So we always take that into consideration. I think the other thing that's really important to consider when you bring a franchisee on is we've only, we're at nine stores now, almost 10, but any one of those 10 stores to even in traffic, I can get to within 40 minutes. That's from one side to the other side. So the furthest one to the east to the furthest one to the west, I can get there in 40 minutes. And the serviceability of that is what's promoted us to be able to expand the way we have expanded because of the serviceability we offer. And just like before, when I said that if in the disruption that Uber's caused, if people don't walk into a potential business system and ask how they've mitigated the Uber influence, it's exactly the same. The next component to me that's just as equally as important is the serviceability. So what I always say to prospective franchisees is go and speak to the franchisees. Yes, you can ask me. I can give you all of the information you could possibly need to know, but the most important person in this network is going to be the franchisee. If they tell you to buy the business, they're going to tell you why. If they tell you not to, they'll also tell you why. What can a typical franchisee expect when taking on a franchise such as New York Minute? What type of support and guarantees can you offer them? Well, I think you're always reluctant to give any type of guarantee because you don't know what kind of franchisee you're going to be given. I mean, there's a lot of... The statistical fact is 80% of small businesses fail in the first two years. There's a reason for that. So we're, we're very, very selective when it comes to our selection criteria for franchisees. And for that exact reason, I mean, I love people, I love food, so the industry is easy for me. So the first thing, even if you're diversifying, I always get franchisees, to, prospective franchisees, that is to come in and just get a feel for the place first. And they get a touch and feel for what your money's buying, have a chat to the franchisee, Get an understanding of what the operation is going to look like for you and get a feel whether or not you're going to love this business. Because if you love it and you follow this system, we haven't had a failed store yet. And from that said, who, who do you think would make for a good franchisee? Is it a particular set of skills or is it more the attitude they possess? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think attitude's everything in life. So if we sign off on attitude, absolutely. But we've got franchisees from as young as 22, 23, just turned 23 years old, you know, right up into 50 years old. But again, it comes down to their desire to be, you know, obviously it gives you the perks of being your own boss and the flexibility that comes with that. But I've always said to people, there's two types of bosses. There's ones that lead with a badge and they become the sheriff. I've never, I don't see a lot of successful businesses in the food industry like that. And then there's ones that lead with their heart because they care about people. They've got compassion and empathy for people. And they love what they do. And you can see the passion in everything they do. They're historically the ones that I see most successful, whether it's in food or not. And then when, I mean, what's your process in terms of if you know, the interested party comes along as a franchisee, how do you get to know them a bit better? And, because you're going to be having a potential long-term relationship with them. Um, how do you go about seeing if they're the right fit for you as well? Well, it's a good question because there's a trust post process on both sides. They've got to trust the business they're coming into and we've got to trust that they're the right person coming into the business. Because what the franchisees need to understand, if they fail, we fail. Like it hurts the brand. So it's so important that the trust element's not broken from the application form process. I want them to tell me everything that they can tell me that's going to potentially impact this business, whether it's positively or negatively, that they're coming into. And the same for us. They're going to want us. That's why I always steer them towards the franchisees because they will walk them through the process. And what I've always found the most successful in terms of the initial process is... I get the franchisee, the prospective franchisees to meet me at a store so they can walk in, they can 
get a feel for what their money buys. As I said earlier, they can have a chat to the franchisees. I always encourage that. Go and talk to them. Have a look at the operation. See if this is something you can feel like you're going to fall in love with. So what type of returns can a franchisee expect? The way that I look at it is like this. We, we, we probably sit in a place now where the franchisees have the ability to return a six-figure salary. The one challenge I see with that is they've got to understand that the same requirements for the franchisees that are returning a six-figure salary, they're going to need to be able to achieve the same, you know, put in the same energy, the same effort to get the same results. But most of our franchisees can return a six-figure salary. That's their potential. When you look at where the, you know, the average wage in this country, you know, might be $50,000, $60,000. So they have the ability to land in a space where they can double that. Now, in their current job, and I came from one of those industries before, it's very hard to go to that level as quick as what you potentially can if you own your own business. Owning your own business comes with risks. So we mitigate as many of those as we possibly can before the franchisee even arrives. I mean, the, the simplicity of the system, we've got 16 and 17-year-old kids who know how to run the entire kitchen. So if I can teach a 16-year-old kid, I'm sure I can teach a 30-year-old man or woman. So hopping back onto the industry, USR entities are one of the most adaptive and modern enterprising businesses on the market. What new trends are you seeing in 2020 to be excited about? Not a lot. I'm seeing a lot of people sitting on their hands at the moment. I mean, let's if you want to have this discussion about where the food industry sits at the moment, Nando's closed one in five stores last year. They closed 55 stores of a 250-store network. Subway closed, Subway closed 110. And then off a look at, you know, we can see that, you know, that just as recent as George Calambaras, what happened with his QSR, and that wasn't just wage-related. And then you can move, move that even into Shannon Bennett's Benny's Burgers hasn't worked perfect because a lot of people are going into the industry looking at a lot of those those food service providers and thinking about buying their businesses, which I scratch my head and wonder why. When you see Nando closing 55 stores, one in five stores, and then you see Subway shutting 110 and you see Neil Perry's Rockpool Group moving away from Burger Project, which was his baby, it shows you that it doesn't really matter who you are in the industry. It's all about the model. And right now when I scratch my head and I look at you know, the big plays in the industry like McDonald's, KFC and Hungry Jack's and even the challenges that they've had over the last three or four or five years. I mean, let's put McDonald's aside because McDonald's are really a real estate company that sell hamburgers. It's not the other way around. And then you come down to tier twos in this country, which are grilled, Nando's, Snits, GYG, La Pocetta, et cetera. They've got no growth at all at the moment. They're not doing a lot wrong. It's just the consumers behaved. And unfortunately, when you're locked into large commercial spaces with large commercial outlays, initially in terms of capital, over periods of time where, you know, it could be anywhere from five years to 10 years in terms of those lease, those leases, and you've got a consumer that decided to change their mind overnight, there's not much you can do. It's very hard to adapt a site that's 250 square meters to bring the rents down from $250,000 down to $25,000, which is where you need to be. So we've had to do that on the run over the past two and a half years. We, we, we established our own delivery network first and realized we weren't able to service that. Uber has 33,000 drivers, 33, drivers on the road in Victoria. We had three. But if we put four on, then we had the problem of having our staff component not working. So we quickly realized with our our mobile app, our online ordering service and our delivery component, there was a, certainly a demand for the product, but we just didn't have the serviceability for it. 
The next challenge we have in that serviceability component is once we got so busy with our own delivery service, it would take us 45, 50 minutes and in some cases an hour to get the food to the consumer. But our direct competition was getting, which is Uber Eats, and all their restaurants on their platform is getting the food to the consumer inside 30 minutes. So we quickly realized tens of thousands of dollars later, this is not the answer. So then you have to find a way to make Uber work for you because that's where the largest consumer base sits now. That is the market share as far as I'm concerned. So you've got to build a store to adapt. And if you don't adapt, you'll die. It's very quick. You do realize that you're realizing that it's moving on. People are having to readapt. I mean, but what you're doing is is quite incredible because it's like you're harnessing what the market is telling you and quickly adapting your business to evolve and to dominate that versus the other way you're set in your you set in an infrastructure that can't respond. So the amount of work you've put in to have that adaptive infrastructure that works is quite incredible. It's it's probably you know one of the reasons why you can have that model and infrastructure and say, look, this works. If you're a franchisee that can follow it, you know, you 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 have a very good chance of prospering because of the amount of work that's gone into that system. Sure. So, and look, I agree. So the one thing I didn't get to a moment ago when I was making the point about where the struggling aspects of the food industry are, one thing that always kept coming to my mind was when I did a lot of research on Domino's and I wondered why is Domino's so successful? Well, it wasn't hard to see why when you really dig deep into Domino's and you have a look. They were the number one convenience provider outside of obviously without a drive-through service. You know, So you move the Hungry Jack's KFC yeah, that's a completely different discussion. But in terms of QSR provider, everyone else is struggling for growth. Everyone else is struggling with their numbers. And in fact, more than reducing in numbers, they're starting their, their share profits are diving. And even the revenue in their stores is, is like in a free fall. And everyone's scratching their head and wondering, how is Domino's so successful in this current climate? Because they already owned the convenience space. They don't talk about the governance of their food or the provenance of their food or any of that sort of stuff. They talk about how quickly they can bring you a pizza to your house in 15 minutes or it's free. So they've been having a completely different conversation with the consumer to what everybody else has. So if you go into Nando's, an example, you'll see, you know, authentic Portuguese flavors, et cetera, et cetera, is their marketing on the wall. If you go into grilled, you'll see their spiel on the wall, grilled healthy burgers. We're the same. Go into New York Minute, we're going to talk about providence of our food, what what Domino's were doing. Domino's were talking about convenience and they were very loud about how they were convenient. So they dominated that space for a long time. And unfortunately, we did not see the impact that Uber was going to have. We should have seen it because it happened in the States and it happened in the UK first. And we just haven't, this industry has not been able to adapt. So right now it's destabilized. So you're right, you have to be flexible in your mindset. You can't be too rigid. And philosophies that you might have had that have been working for the last 10 years, they have to change. And they have to change quick. All right, excellent. Now, where do you see New York? minute heading over the next three to five years? Look, we're in, an exciting, we're in an exciting place because I think we're in a space now where we're first to market with the offer that we have in terms of what we offer our franchisees, you know, for your entry level and what you get. I mean, you get a lot more than just New York Minute, which I'm more than happy to discuss when I see prospective franchisees sitting in front of me. And obviously when they come into the kitchens, we can explain how we've mitigated the 30% commissions, which is why we're sitting in a space of where I believe we're first to market. So, Anthony, what are the biggest advantages for a franchisee in joining your network versus some other options they may have in the market? That's a good question. Look, well, the first one is our entry level. At $169,000, 
when I get to sit with a franchisee and take them into a store and see what their $169,000 buys, they get more than value for money. And the next most important crucial point is this is a question for any prospective business owner or franchise investor. I always say this, you know, following 2019, if you're not investing in an uber-proof franchise, you're investing in a financial disaster. So what that means is, as I've said earlier, if 30, if you're getting charged a 30% commission on 50% of your sales, if your revenue is about a million dollars, you're in a position where there's a new 15% cost added to the bottom of your P&L. That used to be your profit. So the way we've re-engineered this model has re-engineered to absorb that 15% into the model to still leave that at that same margin at the bottom line that's always historically been in the food industry. That's what separates us. That's why I believe we're first to market. And we come at an entry level, as I said, at $169,000. With more, one other thing I wanted to mention is you also get more than one revenue stream through New York Minute. So when you buy New York Minute, you're buying multiple brands at the same time. And just what piece of advice can you offer someone who is thinking about inquiring about a New York Minute franchise? And how would they reach out to you to find out more information? Look, you can go to our website. All of our details are on our website. I mean, every single time that I get an inquiry, I make sure that I'm the person that they get to speak to. Excellent stuff. So if, if there's anyone, look, there'll be plenty of people listening to this quite taken by the idea, the concept, listening to your speakers as well. I mean, anyone just on the edge of taking that plunge into small business ownership and franchise ownership, any final piece of advice you'd give them or they take that plunge? Sure. And that is, look, do you do your homework, investigate other franchises, speak to their franchisees. The one question that I would always ask any franchise or a business system that I went into is, as I said before, if 50% of your total revenue is sitting on an Uber platform, how do we make money? If it's at a 30% commission, what does the bottom line of my P&L look like? That's one of the most important questions you'll ask. And that's one of the reasons why at the Franchise Expo, they invited me to guest speak and talk about the industry in this regard, and in particular about the impact that Uber has had. So I also wrote a two-page article. So you can get that off Inside Business Franchise Magazine, the Australian and New Zealand copy. It's pretty easy to research that as well. It'll give you some really good insight into the industry. Excellent. Look, we do, look it's been quite fascinating. We do encourage anyone interested uh, to head to the New York Minute website and have a look. You'll also get a, a contact us box near these podcasts. Please put your details down it. And one of the team will be in touch with you ASAP to, to get your journey going with the company. Look, apart from that, Anthony, it's been extremely fascinating chatting to you. I think we'd love to have you on the screen for an update on how the expansion continues and also any more insights you have on the industry because we're it's, it's, it's a very useful discussion for anyone interested in entering the QSR industry as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. It's been great speaking to you guys. And look, you're doing a very noble thing here. I think what you're doing is you're educating people before they get involved in a business. And as I said earlier, when you're talking about 80% of small businesses failing in the first two years, it's a significant risk. You're starting with your back against a wall. So arm yourself with the tools that are the most important to protect your investment. That's our job as well as a franchisor. You follow our business system, you're going to be like one of our other franchisees. Thank you, Andrew. Fantastic. It's a pleasure, guys. Have a good day. Eden Exchanges is brought to you by the team at Eden Exchange. In the subsidiary respect to Anthony Crowther, who was the founder of New York Minute, 
a modern-day burger franchise marrying local Australian produce with traditional New York-style street cuisine. To find out more about New York Minute, or to discover other episodes by Eden Exchanges, head to our networking website, businessbyinvest.com. You can also subscribe to the series on iTunes, or Stitches if you're using Android. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram for recent info on the buying, selling and investing world. Thanks for listening.